0: Welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore, and we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at your we love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what he's doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message.
1: So verse 27, it says this, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Now, I can't wait to get to heaven and figure out what's so hype about milk and honey. But they, they were lit about the milk and the honey. Now, I've had milk. I've had honey. Both are like average at best. But they were excited about it, and it was enough to get them to believe in God. And it says, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, I saw the descendants of Enoch there. Verse 30 says this. Then Caleb quieted all the people says, hey, good news, bad news. Land is great. Bad news is there's actually people living there. Israel said, no, we got time for this trouble. Let's get back to Egypt. I want no problems. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome. Caleb wasn't no punk. He was from Baltimore. He wasn't from PG County. (laughs) He was like, let's go. But the men who were from PG County. You can tell where I'm not from. <laughs> said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report for the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Okay, now we're just making stuff up. They said, we can't go in. The land eats people. Really? The land eats people. This isn't, this isn't the Hobbit. This isn't Narnia. The land doesn't eat people. It's the land eats people. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. So let me, you didn't see one woman. You didn't see one child. Everybody is a man and a giant. Are you serious? There we saw the giants. The descendants of enoch came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Father God, we're grateful for this opportunity to dive into your word. God, we don't want to hear another message. God, we want our lives to be transformed. God, we pray that you would speak to us in a way that ignites faith in our hearts. And God, I thank you prophetically that the ravens are 2 and oh. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Hey, it worked last week. Let's keep it going. Before you sit down, high five two people. Ask somebody, what are you scared of? Come on, ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody. I was uh, driving home uh, from work, uh, from church, from work, from work and church, because I work at church. <laughs> I was driving home, it was probably about two weeks ago. And it was one of those days where I got there early and I was planning on leaving at a reasonable time. And the reasonable time that I was planning on leaving was about two hours past when I actually left. And I actually had a meeting at the church that night. So I was like, here's what I'm going to do. Go on real quickly. I only live 18 minutes away from the church. Now, you may ask, how do you know if you live exactly 18 minutes away from the church? Well, when you're late sometimes, you have to know exactly how far. So actually, it's 18 minutes if I catch every red light. If I catch the green, I can do it in 1433. (laughs) Don't ask me how I know that either, but just trust me on that one. I'm like, I'm 18 minutes away from church. I'm going to run home real quickly, hug the kids, grab some dinner, put my feet up for an hour, and then I'll be right back at the church for that meeting. That's kind of like it was. You may not know this, but staff was putting in 40, 50, not 40, but like 50, 60, 70 hour weeks to get ready for Welcome Home Sunday. There were volunteers who were here 15 to 20 hours a week preparing an environment for you. Can you guys thank them? Can you honor them for. <clears throat> I said, I'm going to run and I'm going to come back and and I'm, I'm, I'm on the phone and I'm driving home and I get like two miles away from my house. I'm almost there. Somebody say, he's almost there. I'm almost there and I run into traffic. Now we're not talking about like traffic on the highway. Like I was on the local road, like two miles from my house and this thing is not moving, but I'm a Christian filled with the joy of the Lord. So I said, God, move them! (laughs) Obviously, that one didn't work. And for the next 30 minutes, I inch forward. I could have walked home parked my car on the side of the road, walked home, and got there faster than I'm inching forward. I'm just like, what in the world is going on? I finally get to where the traffic was being formed, and I see an officer that is in the middle of the road. They have blocked off the entire road to my house. Like, I was so close, I could have picked up a rock and hit my house. I was that close. Y'all said I was going to hit the officer. No, hit the road. Y'all need Jesus. (laughs) I was that close to my house, and I'm just like, ugh. So I turn around. It takes me 30 minutes to reroute all the way to come into my neighborhood from the other side. Literally walked in the house, hugged, kissed, walked right back out the house at the head, right back to my meeting. And as I'm heading out, I notice something. That the street that was blocked off, I don't know if a tree had fallen or whatever it may be, that there were actually houses on the other side of the area that was blocked off, that there was no way to get to those houses unless you went through the hazard. And I realized that the officers were allowing people who lived in that area to go through the hazard because they had a destination on the other side. So you talk about the frustration of sitting in traffic for half hour and then driving half hour to reroute all the way around only to find out I actually didn't have to go that 30 minutes. All I needed to say was, hey, excuse me, I live over there. And the hazards that were for somebody else would have been removed for me to get to my destination. One of the things that I've noticed is that Satan will always place major Fears in front of the destination that God is calling you to. Because he knows I may not necessarily be able to take from you what God has for you. But if I can scare you away from it, I can keep you from walking into all that God has for you. In this passage that we were reading, God came to the children of Israel over 400 years they were in slavery in Egypt. And he said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to send Moses to bring you out. And he brought the ten plagues. And if you've ever seen the movie or read the story, you know they come up on the Red Sea and they part the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. And then after they get through, the Bible says that the Egyptians tried to follow them through the Red Sea and the water crashed over them. By the way, that's a prophetic picture of baptism. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God baptized an entire nation in that one moment. He brought them through the Red Sea. And then look, this is what baptism is. Their past of bondage tried to chase them into the promise of God. And it actually got destroyed in that baptism water. Baptism is a symbol that I'm no longer the person I used to be, but I'm a new person in Christ, and that he is actually taking care of everything that once held me bound. By the way, 29 people got baptized last Sunday and went public with their decision to follow Christ. But God says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. It took them two and a half years to get to the edge of the promised land. And they send ten spies in. And the spies go in and they look around. And they discover that it is exactly what God promised. The only problem is there are giants that are living in the land. We're going to find out what kind of people you are. I have good news and I have bad news. What do you want first? Why do you always do that? There's always good news and bad news. Give me the bad news. You pessimists, why can't we start with the good news? Like, there is good news. Oh, just give me the bad news, and then I'll deal with the bad news, and then if there's good news, I'll determine if it's good news. (laughs) Well, because it's my church, I'm going to give you the good news first, (laughs) and then the bad news. The good news is that the promise that God has for you is exactly as good as he said it is. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to be upfront with you. Most people don't feel that God's plan for their life is a good plan. I didn't think that God's plan for my life would be a good plan. I was a little bit arrogant growing up before I gave my life to Christ. I thought God's plan for my life was going to ruin my plans. Like, his plan for my life was to pack me up, send me to some faraway country that did not have Chick-fil-A, did not speak English, and I was going to be a missionary for the rest of my life. I felt like that was God's only plan for anybody's life. Now, if you're a missionary and God's called you to reach unreached people's groups, God bless you. That is awesome. That's your calling. It's not my calling. My calling is not to any place that does not have Chick-fil-A. Me and God have already negotiated that in the contract. Like, this is, this is what I do. I just thought that God... Can I say it this way? I thought God's going to ruin my life. I thought God's plan was no fun. You're going to be holy and set apart. And I hear holy and set apart, and I hear bored and no fun. And so many of us have that same mindset. And God says, listen, while holiness is what I have for you, that's not my plan for you. While righteousness is good, that's not my end goal for you. The plan that I have for you is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. Let me say it this way. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. (laughs) That's one of those you have to sneeze, but the sneeze isn't right there. Amen. (laughs) No, 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 no. The plan that God has for you brings more influence in your life than your plan ever could. The plan that God has for you brings more financial blessings than your plan ever could bring. The plan that God has for you brings more love and more peace and more joy than your plan ever could be. Here's where the faith comes in. It's like I'm in control of my plan. And if I go with his plan, it's a little bit out of control because God God don't work with five-year plans. (laughs) God doesn't give you step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. God gives you step one, and trust me. (laughs) Really? Can I at least get two and three? Nope. So the good news is God's plan is better than you think it is. The bad news is that there will always be fear present whenever God is looking to do something great in your life. Maybe right now you're in a point of life where you just feel like not much is going on. My, 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 my best day, my career hit its peak five years ago. Or man, you know, the kids, they're kind of in that stage of life where they're out with their friends and they're not really in the house much. And, And that family season, the best family season was back when or whatever it may be. Listen to me, your best days are ahead of you. God has great things in store for you. But there will always be fear connected to your next experience with God. So they go into this promised land, and I could just imagine. I think sometimes the Bible is hilarious. People just don't read it right. They go into the promised land, they see all of these giants, and they come back and they say, God. And he's like, What? Do you like the land? Wasn't it great? Wasn't it amazing? God, there's giants in the land. This can't be our lion. There are nine-foot-tall men that can smush us like a bug. God, this can't be your promise. And can't you just imagine God's response? There's giants? Oh, shucks, guys. I'm sorry. Gabriel! Ugh. So when I promised you a great marriage, when I promised you a great business, when I promised you all that, I didn't actually check out the land myself. I sent Gabriel to check it out, and he forgot to tell me that there were giants in the land. I am so sorry. If you could just sit here in the wilderness for about 40 years, I'm going to find you another land that doesn't have giants in it. And is Did the giants surprise God? Watch this. It's kind of the same thing as those hazard signs. Israel looks at the promise. They see opposition, and they think the opposition is the reason why they can't take it. Could it be that the opposition was to scare off every other country that was not supposed to have that promise, and the opposition was actually protecting what God had for them? I want to start a business, but it won't be easy. Good. So that way you'll have a large part of the market because not everybody can do it. I I, want to step out and do this and step out and do that, but I'm afraid. Listen to me. That fear is the enemy trying to scare you off of what God has for you. I have learned, and here's the title of the message, that fear marks the spot. That if I feel fearful, intimidated, like I am not enough, I, you have to reprogram your approach to fear. Yeah. Don't look at fear as an indication of you don't have what it takes, you're not good enough, it's not going to turn out well. Look at fear as the enemy's trying to scare me away from something that God has for me. Yeah. I'm closer than I thought I was. Yeah. I grew up in a big family, like I said last week. And and one of the things you know about a big family, if you grew up in a big family, is that food doesn't last long in the family. Like, you don't have to be poor. You just have to have a lot of kids. And the groceries come in, and it's just like... Did I buy? Did I buy? Did I buy? And There will be normal stuff like Cheerios and all that. But my parents would always get some special stuff like ice cream blocks. So I grew up in a Caribbean home, so they'd come with sugar cane or Haitian mangoes or whatever it may be. And for some reason, my parents were really big on sharing. <laughs> so it would be down to the last mango or whatever it may be. And, and, and I'm here grabbing it, and my mom's like, you need to go ask your siblings if they want any. So I'd go, hey, you guys want any mangoes? <laughs> what did you say? I said, hey, you guys want any mangoes? You could tell I'm addicted to mangoes. <laughs> and they're like, are they any good? Now, you got you to see with the eyes of faith. Picture I have a Haitian mango in my hand right now. If you've never had a Haitian mango, you just haven't lived. And it is the perfect golden hue. The little brown freckles that let you know it is perfectly ripe. And you could inhale sugar and it wouldn't be sweeter than what is waiting for you (laughs) on the other side of the skin. (laughs) Grab a knife? No. You don't need a knife for a mango. God has given you 26 knives in your mouth. Just. I'm talking perfection. And they're yelling from downstairs, is it any good? I don't think so. (laughs) Last one I ate was rotten. I think it's a little dried up. Mangoes don't get dried up. I see some mold on it. Oh, I think something's growing on it. Now, if I had just said, oh, it's not that good, my siblings would be like, oh, go ahead, I don't want any. But because I kept on going on, it's dry and it's moldy and there's a tarantula growing out of it, I overplayed my hand. And they're like, oh, he's lying. Yeah, we definitely want something. We're coming. Because well, they figured out I was trying to deter them. So that I can keep something good to myself. Stop looking at fear as an indication that you don't have what it takes or it's the wrong timing or whatever. And start looking at fear as the punk devil is trying to get you away from what God has promised you. Can can I just tell you how it is for me? Sometimes I'm oblivious to the fact that God wants to do something great in my life. I just know for some reason I feel afraid and intimidated and a little paranoid that something is about to go wrong. When you feel that, don't get scared. Get excited. Because you're close to a breakthrough that you didn't even realize you were, but the enemy is trying to scare (laughs) you off. So I want to do just three things, three thoughts of how to keep fear from making your decisions for you. Don't make decisions in life based on whether fear or presence. So the first thing is this, don't let fear stop you. Fear shouldn't stop you. Can I say something revolutionary? Stop making decisions based on how you feel. Boy, that will set some people free in this room. Here's why feelings lie. You ever been mad at somebody because you heard that they said this about something that you care about and you're just mad? You're mad and immature because you didn't actually go talk to them. So you're just going to fester and be bitter. And I just can't believe my cousin said, that. I mean, my kids don't have big heads. They have normal-sized head for a (laughs) (laughs) 19-year-old. Or whatever it may be. And then sometime down the road, you find out that they never actually said anything. Your emotions are built up over something that was not true. Don't make decisions based on how you feel. And if you feel afraid, cool, but don't let that make your decision. We, we have this idea or this misnomer that there's certain people, the greats, that don't experience fear. Whether it's something menial like sports, we all know, especially when it comes to basketball, when there's like the game winning shot, there's certain people that you want to have the ball, whatever your team is. And then there's certain people, J.R. Smith, that you do not want to have the ball. I will never forgive him. I know forgiveness is a Christian thing, but us Cleveland fans, we, uh, we can't let that one go. But literally, you're just like, I need this person. And whatever your team is, you know who that person is. And we say things like, they have ice in their veins. They don't feel pressure. I want them taking the shot. Or it may be things bigger, like the, the, the owner of a business, and it's one of those seasons in the economy and the market where they have to make a major decision. You ever looked at a decision somebody else has to make and just thank God you're not them? You're just like, they're, 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 there's investors that this affects. They got 30 employees or whatever. It's like, man, better them than me. Or maybe even something like a president in the time of war, that they have to make a decision that actually affects people's lives. And we just have this mindset as we look throughout history of these great leaders that they they didn't face fear. They didn't feel fear. They were brave. They were courageous. Look what the Bible says. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And this is God talking to a man by the name of Joshua. Now, when they got to the edge of the promise, they sent ten spies in. Eight of them came back. They were the ones from PG County. And they said, we're scared. We can't take it. Let's go back home. Then two of them, the Baltimore ones, one was from Park Heights. The other one was from Woodlawn. they, (laughs) They said, we ain't never scared. Let's go in. One's name was Caleb. The other one was Joshua. This is God talking to Joshua. Joshua is the one that told the entire nation, let's go in. God said, Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be. Don't be scared. Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you are. One of the things that I've realized about God is God doesn't waste words. The only reason why God would tell somebody not to be afraid is if they were afraid. Come on now, preach this one with me. If they were afraid. Joshua was scared, y'all. The guy who said, let's go, we are well able, he was scared. He is the one that led Israel into the promised land. He is the one that led them when the Jericho walls came down. He led them into their victory, and he did it afraid. I've discovered that courage is not feeling fear. Courage is simply not allowing fear to stop you. Some of you have hesitated. And taking a step of faith because you're afraid and you're waiting to feel confident. If you wait to feel confident, you'll be waiting forever. Because confidence oftentimes, first of all, it doesn't come before the victory. It comes after the victory. And I want to get ahead in my message. But if you feel overconfident, sometimes that's pride. Pride. And you'll end up messing the whole, actually, I've discovered if I don't have a healthy dose of fear, I probably haven't analyzed the situation fully, and I'm not brave, I'm naive. And I don't really know what I'm getting myself into. Hey, if you're afraid, great. Do a skirt. Just do it. Could it be that fear is the doorway to your future? Here's a quote from Nelson Mandela. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Don't worry about, hey, I don't feel like I have what it takes. Just do it. I don't know if anybody who's done anything great has ever felt like I I have what it takes. I'll talk to guys. They're like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to get married. And I'm like, you you love her? Oh, my gosh, she's amazing. You you want her to raise your kids? Oh, my goodness, I would love for for my daughter to be just like, oh, she's just amazing. Then then, then what's the problem? I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to mess this up. I'm afraid that, 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 that I'm not going to do a good job, that I'm not going to be a great husband. Listen, if you're afraid, great. Do you know what that's called? It's called being sober. Yeah. You should be afraid. It's scary. But don't let it stop you. Yeah. And here's what I've learned over time, that when I walk through fear... And I experience victory on the other side. It's not that I ever conquer fear because you will always face new fears. But it takes bigger and bigger things to scare you because you're, oh, come on now. You're like David where you said, hey, I fought a lion. I fought a bear. And this Philistine is going to get the same end of the last barriers that I've faced. If you're afraid, that means you're sane. great, still do it. Don't allow fear. Fear to keep you. You have to understand, we, we celebrated our eighth year anniversary last year. I mean, last week. That's a good place to say, well, I messed it up but say, will Come on. When I became the senior pastor of this church, everything said this isn't going to work. I was 24 years old, which is too young, apparently, to be a pastor. You have to be old and crusty before you can... <laughs> I was single. Who do you, you ain't got nothing to say. Ain't married folks don't listen to you. You, got you need to have a good marriage. Well, when you get one, then tell us about it. <laughs> That's how you people are. <laughs> and I had never been a cemetery. I mean, seminary. <laughs> I stutter sometimes. <laughs> Somebody say three strikes and he's out. All common sense said this ain't gonna work. And I, I had common sense. So I didn't work. And for some people, fear paralyzes them. I'm a little bit different. For me, fear drives me. So for the first year of this church, and I'm actually glad that I wasn't married because it wouldn't have probably been a healthy marriage. But because for a year, I didn't sleep one night. Like, I'm working 80-hour weeks. I'm up all night long working, 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 working. Okay, I'm lying, y'all. I was checking Instagram and working. And checking. <laughs> I had to work on the discipline thing, too. But fear drove me to an unhealthy place. And look what God. Somebody asked if you could do it again, what would you do differently? I would have slept. <laughs> and I would have confidence in the one who called me. Wow. And even though I don't feel ready, if he called me, I must be. So let's because here's what happened. God, God has done something great through the church. But if I w- were honest, I I've missed seasons of joy and celebrating all that he's done because it's been stolen by paranoia. Wow. And if I could just face the fact that, God, this is you. This isn't me. So, God, I trust you. Second thing is this. Write this down. Fear fear shouldn't rush you. Fear shouldn't block you, but fear also shouldn't rush you. There's this thing called the fear of missing out. Where you're not afraid that you don't have what it takes, you're afraid that somebody else is going to take it. Or you're afraid that if you don't jump out right now and do it, that you're going to miss that opportunity. And here's what it does. That fear drives you to make rash decisions. So God comes to Israel and he said, I told you that land is yours, did I not? And they said, yeah, but there's giants there. He says, cool, that's fine. You'll never go in. You're going to die in the wilderness. And then your children are going to take the promise that I have for you. I have two children, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, Zoe and Roman. I speak the promises of God over their life every day. God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for their life. I want God to do great things for them. But hear me, I don't want them to get the destiny that was belonging to me. I want them to get their own destiny. I I do not want God to say, Stephen, I wanted to do great things through your life, but because you were so afraid, I'll leave it for Zoe and I'll leave it for Roman. No, give them their own promise. God, I want all that you have for me. But because they listen to fear instead of listening to God, God says, that's fine. I'll put you on. Boy, you you probably shouldn't preach this sometimes. but You know God puts people on the bench, right? Like God wants to use you. Yeah, but God, I stutter. God, I'm not that holy. I've only been a Christian for two weeks. God, I, God, I, God, I, God, I. And do you know if you give him enough reasons not to use you at some point, he's going to say, okay. I want to use you, but if you're more convinced of your weakness than I am of your strength. So he said, Israel, fine, you're not going in. And look what happened. When they found out it was now or never, they said, okay, God, we're joking. We're going. Let's go. Let's go. And they were like, let's go. God said, no, 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 it's too late. You're not going in. And look what they did. They went in without him. They rushed it. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 41, it says this. But Moses said, why do you disobey the Lord's command? It won't succeed. Don't go up, for the Lord isn't with you. Don't be struck down before your enemies. The Malachites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you. And you will fall by the sword because you turn away from the Lord. And the Lord is no longer with you. Yet they, can can I preach for a second? Yet they recklessly started that business. They recklessly bought that house. They recklessly jumped into that relationship. They recklessly stepped out and launched that ministry. They they were so afraid of never getting it that they recklessly ascended towards the top of the mountains. Even though Moses and the Lord's chest containing the covenant didn't depart from the camp. Then the Amalekites, the Canaanites who lived in those mountains, descended, struck them down, beat them all the way to Hormah. All right, I'm stepping out in faith. Oh! If God's not going with you, don't go. And here's what you have to understand about your enemy. That if he can't stop you, he'll rush you. Because if I can't keep you from having the marriage that God has for you, I'm always getting in trouble. I'll rush you into a marriage before you have the character and the humility to sustain it. Wow. Because the only thing worse than not getting something is getting it too soon. Yes. And what could have been a blessing in the right season actually ends up being a curse because you're rushed into it. Huh? Huh? If you're in here and you're a car salesman, I pray the blessings of God over your business. <laughs> If you could hook me up, I'd appreciate that. See me after. However, for crooked car salesmen, it's fear that they use. No, 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 no. Don't go home and think about this. Like if you go home, this car will not be here tomorrow. You need to buy it now, 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 now. I get it. The interest rate is 49%. But that's okay. You can grow into it. Matter of fact, we'll give you the first three years of payments free. Why? Because you'll be paying for it for the next 60 years of your life. It's this fear of, you got to make a decision. you got to, listen, whenever you feel pressured into a decision, don't make it. Because there's a chance that it is, here's what normally happens with me. I normally know it's the right decision. It's the timing that I often have off. And the enemy will try to rush you into something before it's time. My my mom, any people like to bake cake bakers, cookies, all that other kind of stuff? Come on now. You're very silent, so now I am fearful of eating your cookies. (laughs) I Actually, my mom baked and she taught me how to bake. When we first got married, I told my wife, hey, can you get some ingredients? I want to make cookies. And she came home with one of those Nestle tube of pre-mixed cookies. I said, babe, what's that? I want to make cookies. She said, I know. Here you go. I said, where's the flour? Where's the sugar and the Nestle chips? And she's like, you make cookies from scratch? And I said, I was homeschooled. Who doesn't? (laughs) Anyway, well, my mom used to bake. My grandma still makes coconut breads and cakes and all this other kind of stuff. And if you've ever had a cake, pineapple upside-down cake or whatever it may be, you know that when it is baked, long enough, it's amazing. But when you take it out of the oven too soon, when you rush it, it's actually disgusting. For you bakers, you know my mom, she, she used to get a toothpick and she would open the oven and she would stick a toothpick. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all are ready for Thanksgiving already, man. I feel the annoyances. You, you'd prick that bread or that cake or whatever it may be. Now, you non-bakers like, why are you stabbing the cake? Cakes have feelings too. Don't stab cakes. She'd prick the cake and then she'd pull it out and she'd look at the toothpick to see if it was finished. Because what is amazing in the right season is disgusting when it's too fast. Can I preach for a second? The business that is amazing in the right season will steal your soul in the wrong season. The marriage in the right season, oh my gosh, will be a burden in the wrong season. And not only that, all you bakers know, when that cake comes out of the oven, I'm like, let's eat. She's like, no, it has to set. set." Why does it have to set? I don't know, but those are the rules. (laughs) Bring the cake out, it sits. Like, I thought this was in the oven for No, it hasn't set. No, you, you're like me. I'm just like, huh, okay. She turns around and I'll take the little pan and, I'm like, I got this, I got this, I got this. And I'll flip it over. And what happens? Half the cake comes out, the other half is sitting in the pan because it didn't Your destiny is only a blessing in the right season. If you wait too long, it's burnt. And if you take it out too soon, it crumbles. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. Come on, look at somebody next to you. Tell them, wait for it. Come on, they, 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 didn't, they didn't want to hear for it. Look at the next person. Look at somebody else who got a little bit more faith. Hopefully the person on your left <laughs> has a little bit more faith. Look at him. Say, second option. (laughs) Wait for it. it. (laughs) Do you know that Satan promises you everything that God promised you? Just faster than God will give it to you. Like, there's this lie, like, if I'm a Christian, I can't have sex. Don't have sex. Sex is a sin. I was going to say I'm having a lot of sex, but that would be very inappropriate, so I'm not going to say that. (laughs) I just said that, didn't I? We'll call it fellowship. (laughs) God didn't say you can't do it. He just said, wait for. it. I ain't going to get an amen in this room, but I know I'm right. I ain't. Even if you don't mean it, just say amen. 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 (laughs) Because he said, hey, in the right season, there's no heartbreak. In the right season, you don't got to worry if they're still going to be there in the morning. In the right season, you don't got to. Come on, clap even if you don't want to. Yeah. Some we of you are like, I hate this church. <laughs> God, he didn't say you can't have it. Yeah. He said, wait for the right season. So how do I know the right season? Move at the pace of grace. Move at the pace of grace. This is a simple question, then I'm going to end here. How do I know when's the right timing? Here's how you know. If you weren't afraid, what would you do? How would you act if fear wasn't present? Wow. If you weren't afraid, would you hesitate or would you go ahead and do it? Or let me say it this way. If you knew that you couldn't fail, what would you do? If you knew you couldn't fail, would you launch that business? Would you propose would you go ahead and have children? What, if you knew you couldn't fail, would you do it now? Then do it. If you knew you couldn't fail, would you wait? You know, there's some things that in our gut, we don't want other people to tell us, but in our gut we know this is not the right season, I'm rushing it, but I'm afraid that if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. If you knew that whenever you did it, you would be successful, would you do it now or no? I'd finish up my degree. I'd do this. I'd wait to get this. Then wait. Don't let fear drive you. Can I tell you how most every bad decision starts? Here's the, here's the thought process of a bad decision. I'm afraid that. Those are the final last words before somebody makes a dumb decision. I'm afraid that. I know this person isn't the best for me, but if I break up, I'm afraid that. There's gonna be a lot of single people after this service. <laughs> I know I need to pay off debt and probably build my income a little bit more, but now's a buyer market, and if I don't buy a house now, I'm afraid that. When 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, I'll end here. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. fear. So if fear is driving you, it's not God's spirit that's leading you in that decision. And if it's not God's spirit leading you, then whose spirit is it? I don't know, but I don't mess with any other spirits except for God's spirit. And if it ain't him, I don't want it. So if fear is driving me, it's not God. What should drive me? God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When do I know it's the right decision? When I'm relying on God's power. If my focus is I don't have enough, I'm focused on myself. If I'm focused on I have what it takes, I'm still focused on myself. If I'm focused on God, are you with me? He says his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Is love there? This is getting real practical. The decision you're trying to make, does it benefit anybody other than you? If it doesn't benefit anybody other than you, it's not God. Because God says I've given you a spirit of power and love. And then a sound mind. Have you thought through all the worst case scenarios? Like, there are giants, still go, but you're gonna have to kill them. So, you, not that it's not God. But you need to have an understanding of what you're getting yourself into so that you can have a sober judgment and actually have a strategy for maximizing all that God has called you to. Do you want to get married? Is this the right person? Are you scared? Yes, still do it, but go to marriage counseling. Huh? Do you want to start a business? Do you feel that God has called you to do it? Do it, but get a mentor. Dumb people learn things the hard way. (laughs) Smart people try to find that dumb person and learn from their mistakes so they don't have to repeat them. But now, I have power. I'm relying on God. I have love. It's not just, I'm not starting a business because I want to be loaded, even though that's going to be a good perk. I'm starting a business because I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to have employees that I can provide for and be a blessing to. And I've fought through this scenario. Then take that step of faith. But I'm scared. Great, still do it. Because fear shouldn't stop you. Fear should just alert you that you are on the verge of something great that God has for you. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. And as you said to Joshua, you're saying to us, be strong and courageous for you are with us. God, I pray for that person in the room right now that thinks that they're too far gone, they've made too many mistakes, they've sinned too much. God, that you would let them know that you're still with them. That you haven't abandoned them, you haven't rejected them, and you still have a plan and a purpose for their life. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And Just give God a moment to make this time and this message personal to you. Maybe you're in here and like me, you had the fear that God was going to ruin your life. That being a Christian, surrender to God means there's no joy, there's no fun, there's there's no life. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is saying, no, I have greater plans for you than you can have for you. I have greater fun and greater joy and greater purpose than you could have for yourself. But you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to let that fear control you? Or are you going to take a step of faith in the midst of that fear? Maybe you're in here and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to take that step of faith. I'm ready to give God a chance. If that's you right where you're sitting, you don't have to come up front or stand up right where you're sitting. You can make that decision. Can you pray this prayer with me? Whether you're watching online or those that are sitting in this room, pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm taking a step of faith. Today, I surrender. I give you my life. Thank you. Thank you. Dying on the cross, so that I can have a fresh start. Be my Lord and my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision?
0: Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.